Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes iOS mobile lead developer at WeTransfer, Antoine Vanderlee. In this episode, Antoine shares his secrets for boosting productivity, nurturing personal side project success, and building a team that thrives on collaboration and innovation. I hope you enjoy this new episode, and let's dive in. Hi, Anthony. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing great also, thanks. Can you just uh, go ahead and give us a brief intro? I'm Antoine Fendeli. I'm uh, the founder of Swiftly. It always sounds really impressive to say founder. Um, honestly, I'm just blogging there. It's a, it's a Swift blog where, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more than five years writing a new article every week. I'm working uh, as a full-time stuff engineer at WeTransfer, where I'm leading a team of six iOS engineers building the transfer we transfer mobile application. And yeah, as a side hustle, I also have a developer tool called RocketSim, which um, I believe helps many developers build apps faster and uh, be more productive, which uh, gives them more time to build awesome features instead of doing the repetitive tasks that they have to do daily. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool, which shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. Can you maybe give us an, an overview of the tool that you're building on the side and how, how it uh, helps people? Yeah, so RocketSim originally started as a tool for myself. We transfer has a lot of deep links, universal links, which basically means if you receive files via WeTransfer URL and you click that URL, if you have the WeTransfer app installed, it will open the application and it will show the files in the, inside the native application instead of the web browser. And back in the days, I created my own HTML page full of, you know, sample transfers to test that functionality. But what happens? The URLs expired. You need to refresh it. There was no way to see if those URLs actually were still valid. So I decided to create a small Mac application to keep track of those URLs and make it easier to execute them in the simulator and kind of like speed up that part of the development process that I had in place. And that kind of like evolved over the years. It's pretty, pretty hard to now explain what RocketSim does because it has so many different features and functionalities. So for example, if you do location simulation, you can now do that with RocketSim in the simulator. You don't have to drive the car with your MacBook and try to see if the app works as expected. Testing push notifications, simulator airplane mode, quite critical. You know, you still want to search things on ChatGPT or Stack Overflow, but you want to have the simulator being disconnected from the internet to see if your app responds correctly to that. Funny enough, the biggest feature for many is the design comparison tool. And what it does, it allows you to, you get a design delivered by your designers and you want to see if you implemented it correctly, pixel perfectly. So what RocketSim allows you to do is to place that design on top of the simulator and kind of like compare it directly with the views underneath. Um, there's a few modes there, but the often used one is the slider where you kind of like move from left to right with the design as an overlay. And that kind of like gives you direct indication if you're aligning objects according to the design. 
together with a grid and, uh, and rulers. Um, I don't even tell you half of the features it has. I just constantly find things that I feel like can be improved in the development workflow. And I build those for myself as well as for fellow colleagues or, or other developers in the field that I know. I know a lot of builders, you know, have something on the side or want to have something on the side. How do you balance that? I think I'm pretty good in creating structure and habits for myself. You know, the, the proof of writing a weekly article is one thing, but I strongly believe in, you know, it's like with investing where you have the compound revenue, right? Like 1% over 100 and then 1% over 101 and so on and so on. I believe the same is true if you look at your self-deployment. If you make yourself a little better every day, you slowly become a much better version of yourself. And that's how I developed Rocket Sim as well. It's, it's, it's not that I built that in one week. You know, it's a tool that developed over a period of three years. Same with Swiftly. It's been a long time running and. I have a family as well. I'm now a dad. Um, I've got a big dog that needs to walk three times a day. I've got a full-time job. What works for me is to, I try to make one thing a day, right? Like even if it's like 10 minutes and maybe even like a part of what I want to achieve over the month, eventually that will result in a big new feature that I can release. And it all comes with planning, knowing exactly what you're working on, keeping focus. So don't always press file new project. Just stay with that one project until it's finished. You also work on WeTransfer, then it was uh, a bit different, you know, what it is, what it is right now. Can you give us a, a brief overview of how it evolved? As a company, we were also kind of like looking into what is our mobile positioning? Where do we want to go? Evolved quite interestingly, because at a certain point, we introduced a dedicated transfer mobile application, which was really focused on WeTransfer.com. It took away quite some confusion because the collect application that we have, for those that don't know, WeTransfer.com sends files from A to B and it's like non-mutable transfer. So you create that transfer and you can reshare it to wherever you want. You can't add any new files to it. Collect kind of enables you to, for example, you go on a weekend with your friends, you create a board and you will invite all your friends to upload all their photos and videos into that same board which will result in a collect transfer link, I want to say, enabling everyone to follow along and download the videos and images they want. So it's two different concepts. And I think in 2019, it was sometimes confusing because the WeTransfer.com users expected a similar experience as WeTransfer.com, whereas Collect had a real different purpose in a way. So the process involved quite some technical challenges. Most of the code that we already built for Collect, we suddenly now had to make reusable for the new application because you don't want to rebuild all the things that you already built before. So we created the WeTransfer SDK. It's like an internal package or an internal SDK full of 20 packages that all have their purposes, uploading, networking, authentication, UI, extensions, well, you name it. And that was a super interesting challenge, uh, challenge for the whole team to really extract that and make it work for both apps that are, that are similar, but yet still a little different. Can you speak about uh, some of the main challenges, of course, also about the CI, but it seems uh, such a common pattern in the software world where there are those, you know, components and you have to make, uh, make a decision. Should you keep the, you know, those separate and allow them to evolve separately or make them shareable? But then there is also tension between, you know, so can you maybe speak about that as a general pattern and the problem that we are facing in software development and then also connect it also to the CI? 
Yeah, it feels like a consistent problem. Even now, right now, there's quite some discussion about should you develop UI inside its own package because the larger your Xcode project becomes, the harder it is to use Swift UI previews. Swift UI previews will only work if your project compiles under five seconds in an incremental build. And with large projects, that's often not the case. So yeah, this, this is a constant uh, discussion as well as like, do you start with a new package or will you move files over into a new package by the time it becomes clear there's a need for such packets, right? Like premature optimization or optimization when it's kind of like required. The latter sounds better, but it's often also, you know, difficult at that moment because there are higher priorities. There is no time for tech depth, you know, those kind of discussions are surface as well. I think what, what's interesting for us is the decision we made to really move everything into like shareable packages has really paid off. The development of the transfer mobile application took at most, I think, three or four months for, for a really high scale application. That's really impressive, I would say. And it's all because we could benefit from the code that we already had in place. And it's a classic, right? Like in the beginning, it takes a bit more time. You spend a lot of time into extracting those packages, but over time, you will save yourself time. For CI, the challenge became that, you know, when you change some code in the main target, which doesn't affect the SDK, you might not want to run all those SDK packages because you are certain that nothing changed or affected the unit tests there. On the other hand, if you have like the the core extensions package for us is like a package that is used by a lot of other packages. So in case you change something there, you kind of like want to see who is dependent on this package and let's test that package as well so to ensure that it didn't break anything there. So we, we started kind of like building our own CI solution, which is, by the way, open source. There is an SPM package resolver, which we called it, which will find out which packages depend on the current package that has changed in the PR. And it optimizes our CI workflow, where instead of running the full suite of tests, which I think altogether it will be around 50, 50 minutes of tests. And if everything succeeds, right? Um, if one test fails, you need to do that all again. And instead of that, we sometimes only have to run like one package, which is like about five minutes or something, which, you know, drastically reduce the time spent on CI as well as, you know, sped up the whole team because, you know, it, it applies to every PR, every developer. Yeah. So quite a productivity boost, I want to say. We have recently launched a CICD learning tool with shortcuts into everything you need to know to level up your CICD process and increase your productivity. Also, to ensure that all our customers get the best CICD guidance, we have improved our sign-up process. From now on, everyone who's considering using Semaphore will get personalized CICD expert guidance from day one. Our engineers have more than 10 years of experience, so you'll surely be in good hands. Check it out on our website, semaphoreci.com. And in terms of handling the whole, you know, software development lifecycle and, you know, all of that, with you know, pull requests, approvals, having green builds and then, you know, shipping stuff. Can you speak a bit how, how you guys organize that? This is a constant iteration that we have in place. I believe over the last month we had a new colleague joining who brought in a lot of experience from his previous company. And I think naturally in our team, we are really open to change from anyone, right? Whether it's a junior or a senior or, you know, like highly experienced in the field or not, we value everybody's opinion. And 
yeah, we, we will listen and, and conclude afterwards whether or not it's worth the investment, right? And sometimes we try out things for two weeks and then we conclude like, okay, we gave it a chance and it turns out that it doesn't work for us. And as you mentioned, team is open to trying out, you know, new or different, you know, approaches and things. Can you maybe speak a bit how you guys organize that into, into your team? And do you have some, you know, weekly or monthly rituals or that you have in place where those kinds of topics are brought up and how do you structure that in a, in a team? Every Monday we have the, uh, the iOS retrospective, as we like to call it. And that's the moment where everybody, we start with a round table where everybody brings up like, Hey, I w- today I would love to discuss this. Depending on the number of points, we discuss, is there enough time for everything to be discussed? And in general, is this something we need to discuss here? Because meetings are expensive in terms of time, or can we maybe move it to an asynchronous discussion in Slack, which in general has our preference because you on one hand keep it documented. You can look it up again in the future if needed. As well, you know, like everybody has a bit more time to think through their opinion and share their thoughts. Whereas oftentimes, and you know, face-to-face discussion can lead to long discussions, time-consuming. And it's pretty hard to manage. If you don't have somebody to time box everything, yeah, it can be challenging to get to conclusions. But yeah, that, that ritual allows everyone to feel responsible as well as feel that they can have an impact. And even though I'm, I'm, I'm like the staff engineer, right? Like it's a title. I'm, I'm the team lead, so to say. I don't necessarily want to act like that. I strongly believe in leading by example as well as by giving everybody the opportunity to lead. And it's funny because it makes my life easier as well, right? If I need to do everything, that would be much harder. I need to do all the, all the heavy lifting. Whereas if I can let the team do it and guide them and, and support them where needed, you know, being sometimes I call it like the, the trouble umbrella, like any troubles that come in, I, I keep away from the team to make them as productive as possible, keep them focused on the features they, they develop. And that works out. And the more you develop your career, the higher you become in the ladder, so to say, the less you will be hands-on. And that change to me is also important because I don't want to have the strong opinion about a certain code syntax because I'm likely the one that's touching the code the fewest, right? Like compared to others. So it's much more important that those that handle the code every day feel confident with the code they write. So my goal there is really to guide the team in those discussions to make sure an, a final conclusion is, is, is coming out of it, as well as to, you know, like still share my opinion, you know, in a way that it's, it's, it's my opinion, but it's not necessarily the way forward. It's not the truth, right? Like I just want to share what I think is best. And then we conclude together whether that is the way forward, just like we do with other opinions. And you guys at WeTransfer also have like the, the have the Android team, you know, and, and other teams in place. In terms of, obviously, the iOS team is going to have their own practices connected to the specific technology and stack and so on. But on the organizational level, through the wider engineering organization, how do you guys share some of the experiences or, you know, gather what other teams did and you, you might want to employ that practice and so on? I think I would answer this question differently if we had, for example, five different mobile teams working on five different apps Right, because I, I think the way of working would then much more naturally be comparable between teams. Whereas the web teams, for example, work in a much different way for several reasons, right? It, it depends on your team, how you want to work, what your personal preference is, as well as what you need to do on a daily basis can be quite different. So 
if you're a horizontal team, you have different needs and disciplines than if you're just really like a product isolated team that solely works on a mobile app. I think it's a strength as well as a weakness because the main point you need to have in place is that you benefit from the things that work in teams in the sense that you can at least know they exist and then decide for your own team whether or not that's something you want to move into your team as well. Right now, I think we can still improve on this. I think we can always improve on this. We at least uh, have quite some documentation in place, like a tech radar, which are the technologies that we use. Why do we use them? Looking more closely, we have more discussions with the Android team, right? They are more similar to us. They still have their own practices, but there are things in common, right? We have an iOS mobile vision. We have an Android mobile vision. The vision is different because they are in a different phase, but still we have that in place and the documents look quite similar. As you mentioned that there is much more similarity between, you know, Android team and the iOS team. Obviously, by the nature of the development recycle and release cycle on the web, you can change a button, you know, anytime in five minutes, five times, and, you know, customers are going to see the results immediately. However, with the release of the of the mobile apps, it's, it's a bit different. Can you speak maybe a bit how you guys evolve in that realm? I, I guess that you guys over years did make, you know some changes and, you know, adopted the practices. The difference right now is though that our QA team, a quality engineering team is, is lower on resources. So we had to lower the, the cadence of releases, which means we are now releasing every other week. And we're also switching between iOS and Android, right? So one week it's Android and the other week it's, uh, it's iOS. We also have a Mac app now, uh, which every now and then has an update. So that has to be kind of like squeezed in, so to say. There's not really like a schedule for it. But in terms of CI, we still have the same in place that um, it's it's all CI driven. So we have uh, a terminal command even that we can execute, which will trigger the CI workflow to develop a test flight build, if even required, because there is a daily build delivery at 7 p.m. when uh, most of the engineers are done. That allows the QA engineer to potentially have a new build every day, test the latest changes. And what we will do is like on a release, we will ask the QA engineer for the last valid build and use that as the green light build, so to say, mark that as the latest release in GitHub. And this is similar to, to what I described in the 2019 podcast, but um, the release workflow will get that last tech that is marked as the latest release from GitHub and use that as its source for creating the release build, upload the latest screenshots, metadata, and push it to the App Store until it's in the status waiting for review. So it's pretty much automated, all documented as well. And we have an automatic schedule for the release manager, which means that everyone in the team will will be a release manager every now and then, which uh, which I believe is really important, right? It's, shouldn't be only one that's responsible for doing the releases because if it goes wrong, it also feels like it's always that person's fault maybe. Whereas if you do it every now and then, it becomes really like, once again, the team effort, right? You do it together. Yeah, that's especially important. I mean, since, since last time we spoke, uh, a news on our side is that we have the, the on-prem version now. As we matured, we are trying to develop like the release cycle and how that will work. Just by the nature of our software, also what customers needs, we are thinking about potentially you know, the, the regular release 
would be, you know, once or twice per quarter tops. However, then there are those releases that are, you know, shipping out, you know, some security updates or, you know, critical bug fixes and so on and figuring out how to structure that. And there is also communication piece in place with the people that actually have to consciously install the update and test the update themselves and all of that. So yeah, I just want to share that um, we are also figuring out how to organize our trains. <laughs> It's an interesting discussion and I think there's no one fit all for this. I'm curious to hear, um, have you guys developed a strategy of using AI within your teams? We had a pilot with GitHub Pilot. We now offer everyone in the, in the engineering team to use it if they, if they want. ChatGPT, I'm actually not sure if we have restrictions on it because, there, you know, there is also a lot of discussion about ChatGPT in general that you shouldn't upload sensitive data because you don't know whether ChatGPT will index that accordingly. And that should almost be common sense for engineers to know that you shouldn't do that. But um, what I what I see in the field, at least for, for Swift developers, is that they often use ChatGPT to repetitive tasks. AI won't take over development completely, but the developers that don't use AI in their development will be taken over by developers that do use AI in their development. It's amazing and frightening at the same time. How far can you go without actually knowing the technology really? By literally giving, you know, well-explained, very high level descriptions of what you want to achieve. I have such habit that works for me that I'm not really in a need for using it that much. Plus, I'm maybe also not that confident enough with it just yet. I see it making mistakes every now and then. Articles that are written by ChatGPT, I, I constantly see things on my on my feeds, on my social feeds about product marketing. Just let ChatGPT write your articles and become the highest one. And whether it can really write the articles in such a way that, that it writes what the user expects that article to contain based on real experience. It's a, it's a constant thought that I have. But yeah, that, that's the area where I'm, I feel a bit of um, unease about that. And there, there is a website, Zero GPT, I think it's, it's called, where you can yeah, uh, push it through the filter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it will tell you how big of the chance it is that it's used uh, or written by ChatGPT. We had some funny applications. Let's say that. Thank you, Anthony, for this very interesting, informative, productive talk. I would say. <laughs> Good luck with Swiftly, and thanks for joining again. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. This uh, was a lot of fun. What a great conversation. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore Uncut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes. And stay tuned.